Liberty. Well, what is going on, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty Podcast. My name is Nate Thurston. Across from me is Charles, second tallest libertarian that we know of, Thompson. And with us today, very special guest, Mr. Rob Chatfield of the Free to Choose Network. Rob, how you doing today? I am fantastic. And as always, just a pleasure to see you guys and happy, happy to see and hear about the growth of your podcast. Many more people should watch this, especially if I get my own theme song when I come on too. <laughs> That's right. We could, now, did you, uh, we might have had a miscommunication here, but did you bring your bass? Because I was under the impression we were just going to jam out for like an hour I, or so. It's, it's actually only one room away. And I've also got okay. a small Vox amp that I could put right up behind me so that people will look like a stack if I put it behind me. All right. Good. So. Good. All right. Good. Good. We, uh, we'll we see if we have time. We'll see if we have time mm -hmm. to slap at the base. <laughs> well, um, just for anyone who doesn't know, and I know we covered this last time too, but for anyone who's been living under a rock, could you go ahead and tell us just what Free to Choose is and, and you know what your purpose is and what you guys are working on? So the Free to Choose Network, as you might surmise by the name, we are the media company that brought you Milton Friedman's Free to Choose over 40 years ago, still going strong today. We make public television programs, uh, documentary films, and then we try to parse those into classroom teaching units. We also, and I, I give short uh, uh, shift on this one all the time, we actually own Milton Friedman's former summer home in Vermont, where we bring college students for one week long colloquiums where they sit around in Milton's own living room discussing capitalism and freedom, a wonderful thing if college students are out there listening and want to participate in that. Oh, that sounds amazing. I might consider going to college if I could maybe get in on that. That sounds <laughs> right. pretty good. We might have a special guest podcast <laughs> okay. up there, guys. Okay. So. I hear student loans are going to be free here pretty soon, so yeah. maybe yeah. <laughs> just take out a loan and just be in for a semester. Nice trip. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you know, the main purpose today is that you guys just released a new documentary about Dr. Thomas Sowell, one of our biggest influences for sure. Last time I mentioned I had read Basic Economics nine times. I'm almost through my 10th time now. It's by far uh, my favorite, most imp important book I've ever read. So I was yeah. very excited about the documentary, uh, Common Sense in a Senseless World, I think is what it was called. Indeed. And, uh, how's the response been from that so far? I have to keep updating the numbers. So I just looked before I came on here and when this is being recorded. So I hope with people who watch this afterwards, will see even bigger numbers. Uh, within the first 48 hours, we had 213,000 views on the one hour documentary. Uh, just before this call, over 250,000. So it is just tens of thousands. And uh, as I said, the numbers continue to climb. I'm happy to report almost all this is organic. It's literally because uh, people are out posting this on their own websites, on their own social media, and people are going to see the film there. We have not spent a penny on uh, advertising and promotion really yet. That's all still to come. Wow, that's amazing. And it's something that in today's day and age, you wouldn't imagine it would get that much. If you, look, if you looked at the news and you looked at Twitter and everything, and you would say, well, maybe this isn't going to get a ton of traction because these ideas aren't just aren't as popular as they used to be but there's a lot of people that are hungry for this kind of thing out there and the uh, nicest part is going through some of the comment section in realizing uh jason riley of the wall street journal is the host of the program and jason told me in a conversation with tom soul that tom estimated 95 percent of america has never heard of him 
Wow. And if you look through the comments section, the comments of, oh my gosh, I just discovered this guy six months ago. I just learned about Thomas Sowell from a friend uh, via something else. The, the number of people that we can still turn on to these ideas of soul, uh, to me, that's the most exciting part about this project. That's really why we did it. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, I think it was sometime last year when the book uh, White Fragility was getting a lot of attention. And I saw the, a meme going around, a lot of people saying, uh, you know, you don't know what it's like. You can't have a comment on it. Why don't you go read some, you know, black authors that have PhDs? And I was mm -hmm. like, well, I, I got two for you. I got Dr. <laughs> Walter Williams and Dr. Thomas Sowell. <laughs> and uh, they were like, well, who's that? Everybody was asking, like, who's that? It's like, oh, why do you keep pointing to those? And I'm like, okay, well, you can't use this grand narrative that no, you know, no black people would support capitalism because you have, um, you know, two prominent, Dr. Sowell being one of my uh, favorite, and, and Walter Williams as well which you guys also uh, uh, have some coverage on. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Just talk, I guess talk a little bit about that, if you will, and comment on how, um, you know, a PhD, uh, you know, one of the top in his class and, uh, you know, renowned author uh, doesn't get as much st street cred, so to speak. <laughs> Depends and, on your ideas. Uh, there's some great lines within the film, uh, which I don't mind spoiling for you also uh i, I i'm going to point out by the way there's a one hour film it's going to air on public television uh starting in january um but most of the stations are going to hold it off until february for black history month which tom of course would abhor because he's like i'm an economist don't don't put my color in front of me as an adjective beforehand exactly. yeah. but with regards to that as i said that's it's one of the reasons we actually waited to put the film out was so that we could actually have a bit of counter narrative when people talk about uh, Black History Month, and why don't these people get the attention they deserve? Walter Williams has a fantastic line within the film itself that says they can't argue with Tom. He's right, so all they can do is ignore him, put him aside, don't talk, don't give him any kind of credence whatsoever, because some people might actually find out, oh, there's a different viewpoint, a different perspective here. Uh, the uh, For your fans, by the way, uh, not only do we have the Tom Soul documentary, but about five years ago, we did a documentary on Walter Williams, who, of course, passed away last month, uh, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, and the numbers on the Walter Williams uh, film have also uh, exploded. Uh, we, I think we had over 300,000 views on that in the last couple of months also. So it, it shows that there's people out there that really do want to hear a different perspective. They just don't know where to go find it. Yeah, I was really glad to see that uh, that Dr. Walter Williams made it, he made it in the documentary, which was great. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was good to actually see that. I mean, how uh, when we talked last time, he he had not he hadn't passed away yet. So I mean, how much of how big of a loss was that for this voice for liberty in a in a time where we we really need it right now. It was huge. And, you know, we are always thinking ahead two and three years, by the way, for a project. So the Tom Soul, you know, the film came out, as I said, this week. It's 2021. We had this project on the drawing board four years ago. And so we're always trying to think ahead like that. And for us, we had so many things we wanted to do with Walter uh, as key screen talent. Not least of these is uh, we have a project that was years ago, we did something called the Idea Channel. And our founder literally had this idea of put two really smart people in a room, put microphones and camera in there and hit play and just let them go. It's almost like if Charlie and Nate were just, you know, you know, that was, it was the concept, honestly, yeah, before yeah. you, you know, 40 years before you guys came up with this, but uh, Walter had done an episode with uh, professor James Buchanan, a Nobel laureate. 
and Walter, of all the things he did, Walter will tell you that's one of the most important things he did was those two economists talking about the Constitution. And so we had planned to do a series of several of these idea channel discussions with Walter Williams and a bunch of young guns so that 40 years from now, people could come back and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe they captured Walter Williams with insert here. So for us, it was such a huge loss because the, uh, uh, the coronavirus stopped the filming for the summer and we had planned to film this summer. Mm. Um, sp speaking of putting some young guns with, with guys like, uh, like Walter Williams, one of the big questions I've had is, do you see who, who's our future Dr. Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams? I know still Thomas Sowell, uh, but do you see these do you see a new generation of people coming out? Who, who do we need to go to to follow for the next 50 years? It's a great question to ask, and I'm going to answer that in a kind of roundabout way, Nate, which I think you'll appreciate, which is when Soul and Williams were of their in their 20s, if you will, well, Soul was an avowed Marxist, and Walter Williams would tell you that he was absolutely following the Black Panther line, et cetera, so forth. And I don't know as though the people that we want to follow for the next 40 years have actually come to terms with the libertarian viewpoint and perspective yet. It could be I AOC for are, all we know. <laughs> so so I, it, it's, you know, so one of my hopes, again, with this project is, is do we turn somebody onto this who goes, oh, my gosh, it all makes sense now. And by virtue of watching the film that we've just done realizes, oh, there was a whole different idea out there when we're, when we're facts actually matter and not somebody's feelings. And so I think that we, we are probably still looking for that next person. I, I don't want to take away from anybody who's doing good stuff in the space. I'm actually not naming names on purpose, by the way. You know, that's why I says I'm, I'm roundabout and sidestepping yeah. mm -hmm. this year. I think there are some who are going to be television personalities for the next two decades, and you can identify who they are. And I don't think they're going to change anybody's mind the way that Walter Williams or Thomas Sowell changed people's minds. I mean, we're already seeing someone who is talking about potentially running for uh, the governor for California. Mm -hmm. um, it was a guy who I believe he directed the big short and mm, yep. was out there talking about libertarian type of things. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, how about that? That would be an awesome governor of California. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> He's talking about the same things Thomas Stoll's talking about, by the way, school choice and those yeah. types of things. So uh, the documentary, not to spoil it uh, as well for those that haven't watched it yet, but it does talk a lot about school choice. And so go into, um, go into that and, and how, you know, Thomas Sowell was a big advocate for, for school choice and spent a lot of time on that type of thing is, is education also one of the most important things at the Free to Choose Network? It was, uh, uh, first of all, for our organization, it's really why we exist. Mm. And uh, it's funny because, you know, Milton Friedman was an advocate for all sorts of school choice, which, which hurts us actually with some members of uh, administrators, uh, teachers unions, et cetera, who automatically say, oh, all of our stuff must be terrible because these guys produced Milton Friedman 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I look at a Thomas Sowell uh, component first. It is National uh, School Choice Week this week, by the way. So if your listeners were not aware of that, uh, again, perfect timing and release. And we have, uh, uh, there's about an eight minute snippet within that film that really talks about how Thomas Sowell came to school choice. It was because he was a beneficiary of school choice in Harlem growing up. People didn't realize, but they had school choice 
throughout New York City. If you didn't like the school you were in, you applied for a different one and you got into the different school system. It wasn't really a matter uh, until we started talking about vouchers and where's the money going, et cetera. But back then, if you didn't like your school, you just went to a different school in New York City. That was one of the one of the points I'd never heard before. I'd never thought about before. And they're talking about charter schools, uh, which were public, uh, you know, free tuition schools, uh, but they were held to a different. They're held to a different standard than the public schools. So if they don't meet the specifications, if if they don't have the right results, well, then they can they can be shut down. But then a public school obviously just keeps going. Yeah. And, and, and Thomas Sowell did a great book called Charter Schools and Their Enemies that he put out last year. And he went to painstaking links to try to find real comparisons of charter schools with public schools. And the ones he was really looking for are, did a public school and charter schools are public schools. I was going to say, again, if anybody is unfamiliar with the concept of charter schools, he was looking for a public school traditional that actually had a charter school on the same premise. It was together. And what happened with regards to those? Because then you really can take geography out of it. Was it, you know, all oh, the, the students are from a different socioeconomic background? No, they're at the same school. They would have gone to the traditional one uh, if they if they hadn't gone to the charter one. And the charter schools outperform the traditional schools in that model. And I think, again, in terms of education and importance for us, uh, we've always thought, and it comes right out of our name, people who are free to choose tend to be happier, healthier, wealthier than those who are constricted. And for us, it's all about opening up options for people and letting people be able to have those economic choices. Well, and you actually see that around the world as well. I, you know, I, I was part of a company uh, for a while where we owned a, a uh, we essentially did travel uh, in Peru. In fact, they're still going, by the way, if you guys want to go, go to Peru, it's kachilife.com. Um, a great company. And I helped start that company. And, and part of our, um, part of what we wanted to do was help the local communities. And what's interesting is when you go and talk to people from third world countries and, and you just have conversations with them, they don't want you to actually uh, do anything for them. They want the freedom. They want the autonomy to create themselves because if, if someone's just handing you a pile of cash, yeah, that's sure that's fun for a while, but you don't have that purpose. You don't have that freedom of something that you created yourself that can sustain you. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's, you know, Man does not live by by bread alone. So, you know, people want the a free choice to have the education. They want to be able to get an education. They want to better themselves. Um, and it's just so interesting how we've had such a tough time selling that idea. I guess really. Yeah, self esteem comes from self accomplishment, right? Mm -hmm. And is and the more people talk about that, I, I think that's a key point. The um, education unit, by the way, that we pulled out of this film was called Geography is Destiny. And again, it talks about uh, one of Soul's great writings where he was talking about how, you know, does the geography of where somebody actually comes from, does that have anything to do with the fate of those people? And so that gives a quick indication with regards to the fact that, you know, the Tom Soul movie itself, again, it's a biography about Tom Soul, but how do you get Tom Soul's ideas into the classroom space? Because you're not going to talk really a lot about race and culture and have some of Tom Soul's great pithy lines. And the, as I said, those quotable quotes he's so well known for, that's not going to fly in a classroom environment. So we do have to take a step back and say, all right, what can we get into the school system? Uh, and again, it's not as though we're, you know, we're, we're not trying to take a wheelbarrow with, uh, you know, you know, drugs and cigarettes in the back door here, trying to sneak something into the school system. We're just trying to figure out what can 
you take from Tom Sowell that will be accepted by the education system as a whole because it's a great lesson. I, I think one of the most important things some of these students could have, and I don't know if it's something that can be taught, but really is skepticism and, and objectivity. We, we do a project called the Rehumanizing Project where we interview people and we ask about their lives. We ask about what led to them having the ideas that they have, not what their ideas are, not, not a debate over what the idea is, but what is it that led to it? And what everyone I interviewed that are libertarians say is that they're very skeptical. And they're very mm -hmm. objective about things. And that's one thing that you noticed about Thomas Sowell is coming from being a Marxist and then uh, moving to being a free market uh, capitalist. Uh, it really just had to do with being objective and, and skeptical about everything. Is that something that you can teach to, to students these days? You'd hope, and we call it, you know, we, uh, we call it critical thinking skills. The concept of question everything. I actually did an interview with somebody who was trying to dive deeper into, you know, what's our, uh, again, our, our, uh, our, our classroom teaching component is called isit.org, I-Z-Z-I-T.org. And it's, it's branded differently because it's a website built for teachers and educators specifically. And again, with teaching resources for there, as opposed to the free to choose website, which is a mass media website. But when we talk about what's our key component for is it, it is absolutely critical thinking, question everything. And I had a reporter ask me that question because he didn't like one of our videos. And I talked about settled science. And I says, you know, the moment that somebody wants to tell me, well, that's the answer, unequivocally, that's the answer. That's when I want somebody to step up and say, hey, you know, I want to question that. What is there some other is there some other explanation behind that? And I think if we can do that from the education system side, we're, we're going to win a lot, Nate. That's even something Elon Musk is doing, by the way. He has mm -hmm. his kids in what he considers critical thinking school mm -hmm. where they actually don't really have a, a curriculum. I mean, for instance, one of the things they do is they give them a motor and tools and they don't tell them what to do or how to do it, but to figure it out, to critically think and question, okay, like, how do I take this motor apart? How do I put it back together? And, and, and in that type of critical thinking, that stuff stays with you. I'm, you know, I think most people would agree and I could be wrong, but most people would agree when you learn something hands-on, that's yeah. something you remember so much more than, you know, any type of uh, traditional, um, just a standardized test that standardized you know, memorizing or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Have the uh, public schools been receptive to the videos? I mean, you just mentioned one where someone was questioning it, but do you have a hard time getting that into, do you get them in the public schools or is it mostly private schools? How does no, that work? No, and we target public schools specifically. Ironically, Nate, the uh, private schools think that they have the answers. <laughs> we, we know the curriculum. We know what we want to teach. We know what the public schools are doing wrong, et cetera. The public school teachers are actually the ones who are more open-minded, more open to using different materials to try to get a point across. Uh, so I, 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 you're never going to hear me bash public schools and public school teachers. I really do think that they do a good job in general, but it, there is an environment. There's an administrative environment. There's a, a bunch of mandates, et cetera, that really uh, hurt in terms of students being able to express themselves open-mindedly. I, I have two children. Uh, well, I was going to say, I call them children still because <laughs> they're mine. But, you know, one's 20 and one's 16 now. Neither one of them fit the mold with regards to what a typical public school uh, person was supposed to look like. You know, the uh, uh, my son came out more libertarian than, than most people would expect. Uh, my daughter is about as conservative as Barry Goldwater. 
And, and I didn't train them in this manner, by the way. I just taught them to be open-minded, think about things in terms of go about and explore your passions, et cetera. But that, that becomes difficult in an environment. I want to go back to, are they receptive? And, and most teachers, uh, uh, Nate and Charlie, if you give them high quality video material, uh, show them how to better integrate it within their classroom space, there's no such thing as left-right politics on almost everything that we're trying to put into the classrooms. Um, we, we talk, we have stuff about race relations, uh, but we take it from a different perspective. Uh, we have things about economics. And of course, you know, as I said, almost always, that's going to uh, you know, expand upon capitalism, free market economics, and how that stuff has led to progress. And if you do this stuff well, the teachers will use it. Uh, we did a um, mock election this past year. And the results were, uh, I don't want to say they mirrored the nation, that was not going to be right, but over 50% of the teachers who voted in our mock election voted for Biden. Um, we, I, I think Joe Jorgensen got seven or 8%, by the way. So she <laughs> nice. was, you know, she was, she was represented uh, in a greater number than, than, than you would expect in the general populace. But if people are thinking, oh my gosh, we're a bunch of right-wing conservative educators. Well, guess what? As I said, half, half the teachers that were using it who participated in that election were Biden voters. So. Do, do you guys do anything like that? We might have mentioned this last time, but I'll never forget the Schoolhouse Rock videos that I saw mm -hmm. when I was in school. I could still yeah. tell you the preamble to the Constitution right now. Yeah. I'll be singing in in the mm -hmm. background, in my head when I say it. But, I mean, have you focused on any uh, sing-along things like that? Like, what, what kind of things do you have for the kids? I have. I was going to say, I wish. It's a tough market, by the way. Um, but we have a, a series called The Pups of Liberty. And so we did a couple of episodes and we used, uh, I'm going to say it's Disney quality animation because I'm not allowed to say we use Disney animators, but <laughs> you, your, your, your uh, listeners can make the, uh, the jump themselves yeah. there. Uh, as I said, it's, it's Disney quality animation. The teachers love it. The students love it. They'll watch this stuff over and over again. And we're doing a bunch of short episodes right now with those same producers, but um, we're a nonprofit. And funders tend to think that that's not the biggest bang for the buck. Apparently, Nate, they've forgotten about Schoolhouse Rock and the fact that this <laughs> stuff is ingrained in our memories. We like to call it the, um, uh, the Catholic church approach. You know what? I can still remember, and I was not a Catholic uh, church goer, by the way, but we, we talked about how if you went to Catholic, everybody talks about how the nun wrapped their wrist with the ruler mm -hmm. and how they still remember all of their prayers, et cetera, so forth. You drill it into them at a young age like that, and I think they are going to remember. The thing that I dislike the most is, um, and again, I, I don't like to talk about left-right politics, if you will, but in this instance, I will. There is an agenda out there to brainwash the kids into thinking, you know, that, you know, business is bad, you know, only, you know, community is good, and that individualism somehow or another isn't good. And I think that that's something we have to combat in the lower grades. While at the same time trying to trying to celebrate diversity, yeah, <laughs> and, and, diversity and I, I is good. Diversity individualism is, is, is bad. <laughs> I think it's all about individuals, though, Charlie. As I said, if you really want well, to celebrate diversity, it's about celebrating individualism. And that's the that's as diverse as you can get. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the ultimate diverse is the <laughs> level of the individual. That's you Absolutely. have to fractionate the groups all the way down. The individual is the smallest minority, it's just a, like uh, Ayn Rand said. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, Take me back. I want to go back a little bit to uh, where you're talking about, you, you know, your kids being open minded and, mm -hmm. and uh, the teachers being open minded. You know, I re I recall that that was a place for uh, universities. You know, you were supposed be to go to college minded. to be open minded. And here yeah. you're going to hear different perspectives than what you grew up 
learning. And we're seeing, um, you know, at least over the last, uh, I say, couple decades that that tide has shifted where now, you know, opposing opinions are, are not even welcome on college campus. Um, so are you are you guys doing anything at the college level or are you still uh, more focused on on lower grades than that? Or is it all our, all the our, above? Yeah, our, our focus tends to be on the high school level in terms of how we're trying. Again, we're mass market. Uh, so for us, that that approach works well. The college market, as I talked about earlier, with regards to the uh, Capitaph, Milton Friedman's summer home in Vermont, will take small groups up. What we have found, Charlie, is that if you can get students, and the ones we bring up there, by the way, are not a bunch of free market uh, uh, economists. We're, we're trying to have the school send us people from cross disciplines, some of whom have never heard of Milton Friedman before, some of whom are advocates, some of whom are, are openly skeptical. And what we found is, that kind of residential colloquium where you put students together for you know a week at a time where they're really diving into issues on something that gets them to open their mind and change their perspective i think what you're going to see from students just going to school in the last year you wouldn't have gotten anything because the students were off campus for a lot you know most of them were remote learners uh and as i said you, you weren't really getting any of that interaction that you were looking for the, of the college experience. I think that a lot of what learning happens, and you guys know this one well, is not what goes on in the classroom. It's all that stuff that happens outside of the classroom space. That's where you get exposed to things. That's where you get the open-mindedness. Well, all those students have plenty of opportunity to fight on Twitter with people, so I'm sure they open their minds up to <laughs> all kinds of things. You know? Exactly. <laughs> um, so you might be a little biased on this, but there's a um, do you do you think that education focusing on education for the next generation is more important say than focusing on winning an election somewhere or winning who's who's right the, the left or the right or the libertarians and focusing on that it, should we should we focus more time and attention on education for the next generation you wouldn't have to spend the money that is spent on elections if we focused on the education standpoint that that's a simple easy statement to make but in, I live in the state of Maine. Our U.S. Senate seat was up, and that election was $100 million spent trying to flip a seat. It, we don't have a million voters in this state. They could have just walked around and handed people $100 bills uh, in terms of what they were trying to do in this state here. But if you had told me you're going to give me $10 million to go after one state and really try to make sure that the students getting out that graduated from that state had a basis in self-government and those principles and economic freedom, political freedom, personal freedom. Uh, I think that that state, as long as those students stayed there, uh, you'd never have to spend a dollar on campaigns again. It, wow. Do you think it's pretty important for the kids that I was just thinking back to high school, Charlie and I had the both uh, the same music director in high school. And I've attributed the fact that I'm a libertarian, even though he was not a libertarian, we didn't really talk about politics that much at all. He would yeah. always write on the board. Uh, he would write, seek the truth on the board in the back of the mm -hmm. room. And that has stuck with me forever. So how, how important is it for the kids to have a good role model like that from a, versus someone saying, uh, follow the government or someone writing, seek the truth on the board. Pretty big difference. Well, you know, no irony. You know, my children grew up with nothing but heavy metal in the background in the car everywhere they went. So, you know, I think that that might have had some influence on them also. But the uh, I, I think it's not that every teacher, I think that they have to have exposure to one teacher 
and I've said this, and I've set this goal for my organization of give me one teacher that uses multiple products from us in every high school in every state. If we can do that, then I can guarantee that every student who goes through school will at least have had a chance to be exposed to the ideas. And that's the part that I think you know, when we're talking about the college education beforehand, I think you've got to expose them to the ideas in high school. Charlie, it's not going to happen in the universities anymore. Mm. You know, one thing I was thinking about is that, you know, what's what's interesting from, I will say my perspective, I, and I'll say Nate's as well. I don't want to say R. And include, it's probably right. Include you in case same. you don't want to take a stand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, well, if you're taking a stand. A, a political know, stand. See. Yeah. Well, what I was getting at is that essentially um, – you know, what I what I'm thinking is that, you know, our message that we preach is not the only message that we want out there. You know, the, the things that we talk about when it comes to free markets and, and capitalism and things like that, we're not trying to shut down the other side. Like and I have a, a son who's four years old and I want him to hear all the sides. You know, so if I if he had one teacher that was listening to, you know, showing the free to choose and then all of his other teachers were showing him everything else, at least then he could make up his own mind. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. one thing I think that's really cool about our message is we're not trying to shut anybody else down. We're, we know in the realm of ideas and, and just by a, a quick, you know, study of history, you don't even have to take a college class on history, just like literally a quick study <laughs> that these ideas of, of the free market, while not perfect, fare better uh, for humans and progress. So um, I, I'm going to add to that, Charlie, because I think that if you, th it, uh, the best way that I've ever heard that one said is you can have socialism within a capitalism environment. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If, if, if thousand people want to get together and try their own socialist experiment, nobody's going to stop them, but you can't flip it the other way around. Once you say, oh no, you have to do this. That's when you start encroaching upon my, my economic, personal, and political freedom. I've got one of the best examples of that that's happening right now, by the way. Do you pay attention to the stock market? I, of course. <laughs> so have you seen GameStop and all the other things that are happening? Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you know? A group of 2 million people got together and decided <laughs> in the free market that they were going to, to do something together and essentially uh, were able to squeeze out some massive hedge funds. And, yeah. you know, nobody... nobody uh, regulated that into, uh, into and I hope they were a bunch of gamers too. I really do. I just <laughs> right. hope they were a bunch right. of gamers. Yeah. I mean, there were, I saw people, I, I say kids cause I don't know. I, mm -hmm. I think of yeah. people on Reddit that it's kids, even though I like Reddit, but I, <laughs> yeah. I saw, I mean, some of them were making 4 million, 20 million, $50 million. <laughs> Um, yeah. but that's, you they're know, not that's, mine kids, by the way, just going to throw that part yeah, in. <laughs> that's what I love about the, the free market is that you do have that opportunity to still band together right. and make decisions if you want to. Um, it's just, it's not forced. Did you um, get in on GameStop? <laughs> I, I, I did not. I, uh, you guys actually don't know this about me, which you're going to great. It, it, we, we always learn something new mm -hmm. on these things here. My background's actually finance. I was a finance professor nice. as a part-time gig and a finance guy by trade for 20 years before I took on this role. And so, you know, it, 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 you talk about that, but I've always, I, when I taught finance, it wasn't just, you know, about investments, et cetera. I taught about the system of free markets that gave them the opportunity for that. And to me, that was always one of the most important parts I could tell the students. So they got, they got a good dosage of, you know, Hayek, Friedman, et cetera, in a class on investments. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's what we we teach a class on on day trading. We do we do day trading. That's like what we do for the bulk of the day for the, mm-hmm. both of us. So um, I well, love not, it. Because, not necessarily day trading. Although uh, that's I mean, a big yeah, there's been a lot of over. It's really paying attention to the market and understanding yeah. what uh, price action is and how to read charts and mm-hmm. knowing like even if you never decide to invest yourself, like at least knowing what your 401k is doing. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. understanding like when you get that packet of 120 pages from your broker, yeah. <laughs> not when you can read that and understand like, okay, well, you know, my portfolio has, you know, a thousand shares in this stock. And, you know, you can actually understand and break down, uh, even if you don't want to manage your own money. So that that's essentially what we do. We teach people that have never looked at it before. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so vitally important that, that you yeah. don't really get anywhere else. And I'll add to there, the, the reason I don't get in on a GameStop is because I can't watch the screen all day, which I think <laughs> is what you need to do to be able to be successful within trading on momentum and day trading, et cetera. That's right. Your your listeners probably did not think the conversation was going to take this twist today. Did they? <laughs> well, they they listen to us and they know that we really have no aim in our conversation, and they can go anywhere. We're supposed to be talking about a Thomas Sowell documentary. Here we are talking about Game Stonk all day. So, yeah. Um, well, but at least it's about the free market. It is, you know? uh, as I said, and, and Tom Sowell will be proud that that's exactly what we're talking about right now. So. Exactly. But back to your point about how you can have socialism within a capitalist economy, but you can't have it the other way around. We have companies like that, and that is something that we can point to. Like, if you want to have a socialist uh, company, if you want to start that, then then start one. Go go. You are actually free to join a Facebook group with a million people, and all you guys can get together, and everyone put in a couple bucks a piece, and then start your own uh, socialist company. And each one of you are going to own it, and uh, each one of you are going to get a vote on what the company does or whatever it is that that you want to do. And you're free to do that if you want to. There are some companies that have pretty large, uh, you know, ownership from the workers. I think Publix is a really big one. That, it, that yeah, is correct. Yeah. Somebody still has to make the decisions. That's mm-hmm. what I always tell somebody in, in the, you know, in the employee stock uh, ownership programs. Somebody still has to make the decisions because if you think you're going to make run a company by direct democracy, for example, you'll be shocked. At some point, somebody has to come up and say, "Well, when do we not vote on something?" Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the big thing there. Uh, I'll, I'll bring us back to both Walter Williams and Tom Sowell for a second, because Walter Williams would always tell me, you know, Rob, socialism works just fine. My family's a socialist unit. Yeah. <laughs> it's when you get outside of that family box, if you will, where it starts to fall apart. And then if you've seen the movie, and again, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, um, uh, spoiling this for anybody. Tom Sowell was a Marxist. And we have an interview with Dave Rubin, and Tom Sowell, he says, what made you change your mind? And Sowell responds, facts. Yeah. That was it, you know? My Just favorite, one word, facts. Favorite part. One of my favorite <laughs> parts of the whole thing. Yeah, that's that's where I go back to being so important to be receptive, to to be skeptical, and to be objective. Mm-hmm. Because you've got to yeah. have... You've got to have that mindset to be receptive to the facts because mm-hmm. a lot of the facts are in front of everyone and they don't, if you're not looking to see, right. that, like, uh, like uh, Thomas Sowell would say, it doesn't matter how smart you are unless you stop and think, uh, yep. that mm-hmm. if you're not willing to, to stop and think about it or consider something else, then the facts are, are useless. And then today we can make our own facts. So yeah, it doesn't matter if you're someone like a, like a, like a Bernie Sanders. I mean, you can use statistics to show whatever you want to show. So there's a lot of people that have their own facts 
out there. Uh, speaking of the documentary, isn't that why we're doing this? Yeah, we're talking about yeah, the documentary. Right. Yeah. We, we spin ourselves back yeah. here by oh, the yeah. time. What? You know what it is? <laughs> it's one of those back. things where, you know, you got the, uh, it, it's a frequency wave is what it is. We, <laughs> yeah, it is. We, we, we'll, we'll bring it back to the top. Well, it's a stock chart is what it is. It yeah. just goes back yeah. to it. Um, one of my favorite things about this was I think it's going to be really good for a lot of people who are not exactly in that movement. Maybe they don't think free market. They're not libertarians because this is a documentary that is about Thomas Sowell. And yeah. of course it talks about his ideas a lot, but this is a, this is a really good documentary that's, that's about him, how we started, how we, how we grew up going, going through his life. Um, was that a, was that one of the main objectives here was to be more about him, the person and not forcing the ideas on everyone so much? Correct. I was going to say, if you're looking for a Thomas Sowell greatest hits movie, this is not it. <laughs> uh, and some fans, by the way, I think are going to be disappointed about that. I, I've heard from people who said um, uh, uh, politely, you know, oh my gosh, you know, th this was not at all what I expected here. Uh, and, and I think if you're looking for that, all of those videos are out there on the internet. The books are out there. The quotes are out there. All the quotable stuff, all the things that he's so well known for are out there. One of the goals we had was, can we get people who have never heard of Thomas Sowell to first just become interested in this man who grew up in poverty and became a PhD and a renowned author uh, and a fellow at one of the most prestigious institutes, the Hoover Institute that's around. And if you sit there and say, and how come I've never heard of this guy? Mm -hmm. It was almost like when I challenged the team, we were talking about, uh, you know, who is John Galt? I'm like, well, who is Tom <laughs> Sowell? You know, most people actually don't know who the guy is. He doesn't sell five and 10 million copies of his books. There's, he has this core group of people who love Tom Sowell, but we wanted to expose people who'd never heard of Tom Sowell to him. Jason Riley is host, by the way, will have... Uh, a biography book coming out in, in May. And I always plug Jason, by the way, he's a great guy. His book's called Maverick. And that is actually what started this whole concept. And Jason wanted to humanize Tom. He really wanted to show the human factor and how some of Tom's experiences were what shaped his beliefs. And he also wanted to bring up some of the lesser known facts. There's a, a thing in there about late talking children. As I said, most people would never expect that Tom Sowell and Steven Pinker were great friends. But you know what? Through language and linguistics, they, they became friends. And Steven Pinker was like, same thing, had no clue who Tom Sowell was and then was blown away by him. We have things in there about Steinway pianos. We have this, there's a lot of things that you think, my gosh, this is not a, a movie about Tom Sowell zingers and about race and culture and all the things we really wanted to talk about there. But if you watch the film and you've never heard of him before, you're probably going to go out and explore those things and open up your mind to those. Yeah, I think that was a really cool, cool way of doing it um, mm -hmm. to learn that much about him um i mean even in the documentary it talks about how you know he didn't open up too much about that kind of stuff that cut those kind of things and so it's really a really yeah. cool way of doing it so i i, I love it do you, i know you said he's not going to like uh, it, the idea that it's going to get so much play in february during black history month mm -hmm. that he that he would hate that do you think that's do you think that's important though? I mean, in in twenty twenty one, for people to be able to see this this guy who grew up a, a, without a father, I believe, in Harlem, yeah. and and turned himself into to to what he is today. I mean, that's a pretty uh, it, important message for people to see. I I, uh, uh, I I'm going to joke about this because so hopefully they're not hearing in the background. You know, my kids talked about dropping out of school because Tom Sowell was also a high school dropout. 
<laughs> who then became, of course, a PhD and renowned scholar, et cetera. And I'm like, yeah, that's not a path I'm going to recommend for most people on this one. Right. <laughs> but I think that, the, the, as I said, that concept of, if you even think about that, if you would have said, oh my gosh, you know, the whole system's against the guy. How did he get out of that system? And it really was, you know, I'm, yes, people need help along the way, but you go out and you ask for help. And if, if all you have is your wits and you're a bright person, chances are you're going to be able to figure stuff out. You, the, the people like Tom Sowell, Walter Williams, again, that they never wanted to play the victim card. And the concept of Black History Month, as I said, you know, we, we released it during this time frame because we figured that's when we get the most airing on public television. If we put this out in May to coincide with Jason's book, chances are not much airplay on it because, you know, there's, there's a reason that if somebody was going to take a chance on this program, who'd never heard of Tom soul before that they'll do it in this month. Um, I'll give you a quick dirty little secret, which is most programmers don't actually watch all the stuff that they put on television, radio, et cetera, so forth. <laughs> so, uh, as I said, you, you, you know, they're going to be captured by the, the taglines, et cetera. They'll probably watch the first five minutes of the program, just to see what the quality looks like. Uh, and then they'll take recommendations from their other programmer friends, one of whom will have watched it. So that reminds me a little bit of uh, to throw Ron Paul here in the Liberty in the Liberty. When you were talking about um, that earlier, what, what that reminded me of was one of the greatest answers Ron Paul gave at, at the debate when they were talking about uh, health care. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he said, what he said was, was like, well, what if, you know, if we don't have health care for people, if we didn't have Medicare or Medicaid, you know, what would these people do? Just die? And, and Ron Paul was like, well, I actually practiced medicine uh, in the 60s before Medicare and Medicaid, and we took care of them. The church took care of them. Like you, people still got help uh, without mm -hmm. the government, you know, stepping in uh, to help them uh, along the same lines of Thomas Sowell asking for help. Like, you, you know, you go and ask people for help, and, and most genuinely, people are willing to help. I mean, America still donates what? $800 billion a year. <laughs> a lot of billion. Uh, it's a charity. I mean, it's not like people can't uh, get help as if government has to be some kind of safety net because the trade-off for that safety net is uh, very, very, very costly. The cons severely outweigh the pros. Mm -hmm. They do. Um, one really cool thing that I, that I heard in that was, you know, he went and did he work with Milton Friedman or he was in his class or what, what it was, but that didn't change his Correct. views. Uh, but he went, he went to the University oh, yeah. of Chicago. Again, as I said, if you think about Tom Sowell and the question, the, a guy who questions everything, right? He's just always looking for the facts, questions everything. It, he would tell you, he was a Marxist and he went to the University of Chicago because it had the reputation as being this free market bastion. And he knew that if he was going to be the best Marxist ever, that he had to know the other side, the way that the other side thought and the arguments so that he could compare, contrast, and know it as well as anybody. And he left University of Chicago. He left being Milton Friedman's student, and he was still a Marxist. And he was very proud of the fact that it was not Milton Friedman and the University of Chicago that turned him into a free market advocate. It was one term working in a government job that turned him into a free market advocate. <laughs> if that doesn't tell you all you need to know. I mean, uh, is that the answer? Do we need to get everyone to work over the summer for the government somewhere? Is that I the solution to the problem? Have you guys ever worked for the government? I wanted to ask you that. No, but I've been, I've been thinking I'm in the wrong business. I need to get some of these government contracts. I mean, the health, <laughs> the healthcare business that Charlie started is only exists because there's so much regulation in the healthcare industry. Yes. 
And yeah. so what what he deals with pretty much all the time is getting yeah. uh, is navigating uh, all the regulations in the healthcare mar- in our free market terrible uh, <laughs> free market yeah. healthcare yeah. system that we have. Uh, so that's the clo- that's the closest though. I'm actually advocating I, uh, for my I, own. I worked companies. for Bill Weld for about eight months in Massachusetts. Mm. Uh, well, I'm dating myself now, by the way. I know I look much younger than that and and, and, and much more handsome. But the, uh, <laughs> well, he just I ran for the Libertarian Party. <laughs> eight eight months was all I lasted in state government because that was all I could put in in, in without just pulling my hair out. Everybody there thinks that they are an unelected politician. The, everybody I ran into just thinks that they're they're on their own policy mission and they're out. They've got their own personal mission through through uh, through the channel of government and that that's how they're going to make the world better. And it was one of those things where, again, you had people who uh, uh, I'll tell you, the program I worked on was in Massachusetts. If you were homeless and there wasn't any space in the shelter, you got put up in a, in a motel or a hotel. Huh, okay. Well, it didn't take long for the people to figure out that if they just inundated the system that they get put up in a hotel in a motel. And if you get thrown out of a shelter, then you got put up in a hotel in a motel. So the prostitutes would actually work together in <laughs> shifts, all right, where one prostitute would be in hotel room number one, watching the nine kids, while the other prostitutes work the customers in hotel rooms two, three, and four, all, on, all at taxpayer expense. Wow. So, uh, so we were trying to end that program, but there were people who were like, oh my gosh, it's the homeless. You can't talk about the homeless people like that. I'm like, yes, yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. Well, people, we talk about incentive a lot. And so mm-hmm. when you incentivize people, they'll, they'll always find a way that, that there's, in fact, there's always a free market. Right. Regardless <laughs> of what any outside force tries to do, there's always a free market. They like to call it the black market, but yeah. there's still a market. And it'll be out there and they'll figure out a way to game the system or do whatever they need to do to take advantage where that, where that help ends up becoming worse than uh, what a technical free market without something controlling it would, would offer. Yeah. The incentive structure is so is, uh, is the most, you have to look at incentives. If you're, if you're going to figure out what a policy is going to do, you've got to look at what the incentives of the policy are because people are, People are like water finding their own level. Like it's you're going to move towards those incentives. It reminds me earlier when we were talking about the public schools and the charter school. I mean, maybe it's not such a bad thing that if the charter schools do a bad job, then they aren't able to operate anymore. There's their incentive. Mm -hmm. And and so it's not exactly that that's a bad rule for them. But Mm -hmm. what would the public schools be like? Because there's still good people working in the public schools. They're good people who want Mm -hmm. students to learn just like right. the people in the other schools do, but they all work under a different incentive structure and you see the results. I, I've always thought, I, I live in a town that has a very highly regarded public school, by the way, it's always within the top three in the state, you know, in terms of any kind of rankings, but I've always wondered how much better it would be if we said, you know what, we're going to have, a, it's going to be a private school now, just so <laughs> we don't have to put up with, keep the same teachers, keep the same administrators, even keep everybody the same, I just don't want all of the government overhead regulation. And what does that school look like instead? We just, we let all of our students go there from the town. If we need some additional money from the tax coffers, we can take in tuition paying students. If you want to get rid of a student because they're misbehaving, et cetera, do you have to follow through all the same coordinates? Do you spend all that amount of money uh, and get the same result? I don't think so. 
Uh, it's it's almost like it'd be better if people were free to choose where where they would go, right? <laughs> nice. Someone should someone should coin that uh, phrase and use it. Maybe I don't know. Um, I, think, I, think, I think there's a trademark on it. I, I certainly paid the bill last month. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a we got some questions from our listeners that we're going to run through in just a few things because we are, uh, you know, coming come coming to the end times here, the end of our time. Sorry, I didn't mean to phrase that so terribly. Yeah. Um, so one one uh, listener was wondering what your favorite podcasts are. Do you listen to podcasts or uh, or no? I, I actually rarely do listen to podcasts, cast, by the way, uh, and it's more so a, a function of I'm a reader. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, as I said, we're, we're, Charlie was talking earlier about just how certain people learn. You're right, hands-on, et cetera. I, I, I'm much better at reading something than I am listening to podcasts. You'll, uh, you guys would know this here. Most of my listening time, as I said, is blared with heavy metal in the background. So it's not <laughs> as though I'm, I'm listening to you – know, when I, when I want to focus on something – what I have found is if I listen to a podcast, I'm not getting it, or I will find myself on the wrong exit on the turnpike 20 <laughs> miles down the road because I wasn't paying any attention to what was going on. I was listening to the podcast. Uh, I do, as I said, I'm going to give a quick plug, though, to uh, Good Morning Liberty, <laughs> which I happen to think is probably the finest of all the podcasts out yeah. there. And I'm not saying that just because because I, I think, as I said, I, what you guys do sincerely I'll come on to this program anytime you want. And I don't do a lot of podcast episodes, but anytime uh, my PR person asks, I'm like, yeah, how about Charlie and Nate? (laughs) Well, I think I know those guys. I'll let them know if they're doing a good job. If you'd like, we'll start sending you bound copies of the transcripts from the podcast. That way you can read them in your, in your free time. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so we got some of Charlie. What, what's some of the other listener questions here? We have. By the way, your your uh, viewers and listeners will be surprised. Also, I actually don't watch a lot of television and movies. So really, mm-hmm. wow, that's good. Just uh, just documentaries. Uh, yeah, as I say, I, you know, obviously, <laughs> I have my own stuff that I watch, and I know what what resonates. I have a good feel for what resonates. But, you know, you won't find me, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm not going to watch five hours of television a night just to see what's going on on television and what programs look like. Did you see? Well, uh, but it's good there. that it's good that you have. Um, well, in that, in that type of mind, you have a very imaginative uh, mind, yeah. typically. So mm-hmm. uh, you don't need to. You, you have your own entertainment, so to speak. When you can, <laughs> right. when you can read and, and see those types of things. So uh, so another listener question here from uh, we call him Magoo. He says, what are your top three metal artists? Ah, that's a great question, by the way. <laughs> and, you know, obviously, this is going to change over time, depending on where we're at. But I grew up in upstate New York, uh, which is hometown of Ronnie James Dio, if people are not aware of where Ronnie James came from. So you'll find that I have always been a Dio, especially the Black Sabbath Dio years, because those were my formative years up there. I'm going to give a shout out to a couple of other uh, side bands, if you will, a band from upstate New York called The Rods was Ronnie James Dio's cousin. <laughs> and uh, if you've never heard The Rods, nothing going on in the city, I highly recommend cranking that one up before you go out on some night on the town there. And then the people who grew up one town next to me were the guys from Manowar. Oh, wow. So, uh, so I do listen to that stuff. But currently what's in the, uh, in the hopper right now is Phil Labonte, All That Remains, and uh, Elysian. So... That's nice. awesome. We we were talking about actually, actually asking him on for a. Uh, we were talking about uh, you played with all all that remains. I think so. Yeah. 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 We, we were talking f- about asking festival. him on. Sometime. Okay. Well, we got those. You're 
you're quick on your band suggestions. Something tells yeah. me you probably had 20 or 30 of them. You probably there, I was going to say, that, well, there's still yeah. a lot more there, but as I said, in terms of what's in the rotation right now, it's, uh, 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 it's those two bands. So as you can tell, by the way, this is no joke. The reason that those two bands are there is, is because my new year's resolution was to go through my entire collection, A through Z. So therefore, I'm at All That Remains and Elysian. I've not even gotten into the B's and C's yet. So. There we go. Do you, do you listen to music to try to uh, to get away from all the craziness that's going on right now? Do you find that that helps? Because I listened to music yesterday for the first time in like a month, and mm. I felt way better than listening to Some, politics. Uh, Norma Jean? Yeah, yeah, I don't. Again, as I said, if I have my choice between any road trip, and I call a road trip for an hour if I'm in the car for an hour, uh, I still have a CD player in my car. As I said, I, I drop the CD and I don't even want to listen to the radio during that time frame. And again, that's when most people would be listening to a podcast because it's so convenient to do during that time frame. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I find a certain, uh, it clears the head like nothing else. So yeah, I, I definitely would recommend more of these, uh, these metal suggestions and maybe a little bit less of your daily political news these days to help everyone, just to help everyone make it through 2021 because something tells me it's going to be a really long year. Um, yeah. <laughs> I have a personal question because I'm stuck on a book right now. It's called Basic mm -hmm. Economics by Thomas Sowell. Um, mm -hmm. I tend to I tend to find out that the book is so long that I can just listen to it on repeat all the time, and I still pick up great information all the time. But what other what other books by the by the same author should I should I listen to? What's some of the most important ones? Um, he did a series, uh, a three of them that came out at about the same time, essentially on race and culture. And if you ask me to quote the titles, Troy, I, I'll, I'll butcher all three of them. But essentially, there was uh, three books that he'd put out around the same time in 92, 93, 94 timeframe during that, during that kind of era. And they were all about race, culture, et cetera, geography. He did a lot of touring around the world, really trying to gather facts to find something out. I tend to think those three are some of the best three things that he's ever done. And if you asked Jason Riley to ask Tom Sowell, because Tom's not going to take our call, <laughs> um, Tom would tell you those, those three were probably the most meaningful for him also. Yeah, that was one I was interested in. I had interesting title, Black Rednecks and White Liberals. Uh, that, that, that's a good one. It's That one's a little bit lighter, though. As I said, okay. I think some of those are a little more poppy. Uh, but I'll, after this here, I will actually go get the titles of those three books that I'll send to you guys, awesome. and you can post them up on your website. So Yeah, awesome. I, I will put those in the show notes uh, for everyone. So uh, has the documentary aired on is it actually airing on TV yet, or is that still you're just yeah. all internet, all online traffic, and we're really about to see this thing? I think come. you said February, right? Yeah, I was going to say. So what happens is, is we release the program to public television at the end of January. Stations can put the program on anytime they want. So um, you're probably aware of this. The only hours that are actually uh, um, and there's no such thing as mandatory, also, but PBS itself only really recommends about 21 hours of programming. And the rest of that time frame essentially is open to the stations to program as they wish when they want to. Um, given that, um, some stations have started airing it already, but the majority of them are, are again, they're going to wait till February for Black History Month to put it on. Nice. Uh, you can yeah. sign up, by the way, on our website, which is freetochoosenetwork.org. You can go onto the sole page that's on there. And there's a place where your listeners can actually sign up to find out when the program will air in their local market. We'll go find the station for them if they can't find it. That's Great. awesome. Yeah. So free to choose network.org. And then, uh, 
where else can they find out uh, great information, Rob? Give yourself the all the the full plug. I was going to say uh, you also have soulfilm.com, which is easier to remember than free to choose network.org. <laughs> Uh, is it.org i z z i t.org if you're looking for teacher resources educator resources and this is for homeschool parents also uh, uh, as i said if your children went into remote learning or if you have uh, somebody who's doing remote learning or if you're just a lifelong learner there's great videos on there most of them are 12 to 15 minutes long uh, but people are going to find incredibly great stuff on that site and then uh, if they're interested in more information on kappa taf C-A-P-I-T-A-F, and which is from Capitalism and Freedom. That's the name of Milton right. Friedman's summer home. They can they can search Capitaf, but they best off contacting me direct on that one because I've got the keys. So, okay, oh, nice. we'll, we'll give them all your personal phone number. <laughs> okay. Uh, Rob, we, we really appreciate the time today. I mean, th this is fun every single time. And we're going to hold you to the jam session next time. And we, By that's far, a big thing as I said, you'll you know. see the blue base come out. <laughs> hey, when they open up travel, you might have to come down to Nashville. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go out honky-tonking. Right. So, Rob, always a pleasure. Great to talk to you again. I hope we do it soon as well. And uh, I'm, I'm glad things are going well. And uh, man, I, we're just hoping for massive numbers on this thing as it, much as, as we I said, can. A quarter million as we speak right now, and that number we are the most. I'll end on this one. The most views a Tom Soul video has on YouTube is about three point five million or three point six million. I just challenged my team to beat that number with this biography. Nice. So. Well, I recommend everyone out there go and help them beat that number. Everyone share this. Uh, you, I saw the hashtag, by the way, hashtag soul film. So uh, go mm -hmm. out there and go out there and do that. Post a Thomas soul quote and put hashtag soul film with it. Those quotes do really well. Just mm -hmm. ask the people who run all the Thomas soul pages that aren't, that aren't actually, right. you know, him running them. But we have a nice little giphy that says facts. So anytime somebody yes, says something nice. to you, you just want to respond with a fax gift, that'll be, that'll be nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we, we appreciate your time today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Rob. Thank Take you. Take care.